Welcome to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. If you've ever been burnt out because of your job, your relationship, or just your life, this is the place for you. We will talk all things burnout by sharing deep stories of personal transformation each week with a new guest who vows to share their stories without leaving out the scary bits. This is raw, honest, and brought to you by acupuncturist and burnout coach Kate Donovan, whose own experiences make her determined to change the current burnout culture. Hello, my lovely listeners. Quick housekeeping. All the best conversations are happening over at Fried the Burnout Podcast on Instagram, which you can find by typing in exactly that, Fried the Burnout Podcast. And that's where I love to have the conversations with you guys. It's where I love to connect with you guys. I love when you share the show and tag me at Kate underscore Donovan and tag the show at Fried the Burnout Podcast and share it far and wide and share your opinions and give me feedback and leave comments on the posts because that's where all the best conversations are happening and that's where the community is really building. So if you want to get into this a little bit deeper and share your views with people after listening to the episodes, please do jump on and find us on Instagram to join that conversation. See you there. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fried, the ultimate guide to burnout podcast. Today, I'm talking to my wonderful guest, Kayla Rose Yoder, and Kayla began her journey in personal growth and transformation at the age of eight at Landmark Worldwide's Forum for Young People. She completed their full curriculum by 18 and became an introduction leader for Landmark's transformational programs by 20. She completed her first shamanic apprenticeship in 2012 and received her Reiki certification in 2013. She began to fully serve as a contemporary shamanic healer in 2017 after a second 13-month apprenticeship. Having grown up with a yoga teacher for her mom, she's been practicing yoga since the womb. Throughout her life, she has self-studied all kinds of healing work, including yoga, shamanism, meditation, tarot, Buddhism, healing through the arts, family constellations, authentic relating, nonviolent communication, and more. She now blends her range of experiences in a unique way to empower women to embrace their divine creative potential, to feel awake, alive, and excited every day. Kayla, thank you so much for being here with us today. I'm so excited to talk to you. Thank you so much. I'm really excited too. You know, when when we read through these bios, often this is the the highlight reel, right? And if we read through your bio, we would think there's no way this girl with all of the knowledge that she encountered over her whole entire life, there's no way she burnt out. So I would love to start with listening to your burnout story. What what the heck happened? Yeah. <laughs> I I'm so happy to have the chance to share this because I agree that it's so important to see the deeper layers. And um, for me, yeah, it's really interesting because I did have all this transformational education from a young age and I did have parents that were pretty evolved and, um, and yet I still had that conditioning that I needed to I needed to perform in order to get love. And it really started at a young age as well. So even though I had these tools, I also had this really deep sense that, you know, I'm not going to be good enough if I don't get really amazing grades and, you know, I just come from a family that is really successful doctors, lawyers, scientists. And so it's sort of like, oh, okay, well, that's what I need to do in order to be accepted. And so I just worked really hard, even from the beginning, like had to get good grades, had to do all the extracurricular activities. And I was burnt out by the time I was 15, (laughs) honestly. And I went through some really yeah. Um, and I, that's when, you know, 
my drug addiction started. So that's, that, that was how I tried to cope with it, which of course just contributed more, um, in the long run. But yeah, I mean, it was like hard to get out of bed in the morning. And I was also going through a lot of big transitions in my life, um, moving to a different town. And, um, I grew up in a really unique school where, um, it was focused on social justice and it was specifically one third white, one third Hispanic and one third black. And, um, that was actually like really challenging. And I think that that experience contributed to burnout in a way because I wasn't, uh, it's just so much, you know, as a child to be, I I'm very sensitive and, um, like empathic. And so, and now I see also that I'm very sort of spiritually attuned. And so I pick up on ancestral stuff. And so I think I, I was picking up on, you know, there's a lot of trauma in this world, in our culture, when it comes to race and social justice. And so I'm really grateful for that school and for my parents bringing me there because, you know, it definitely is an important, um, it's an important topic for us to, to look at as a culture race. And it also was challenging because there's a lot of wounding around that. And I think I picked up on that. It was really heavy and I wasn't given, um, I was given tools for how to, you know, that I, that I can create possibility in my life that I don't have to be stuck with anything. Uh, that's what Landmark gave me, but it didn't give me um, uh, the kind of emotional literacy and ability to like integrate my really intense emotions. So it just sort of accumulated and yeah, it got to the point where I really didn't feel like my day-to-day -day life was uh, supporting my, like my spirit. Do you and think so, I have a I have a question? Yeah. Yeah. Do you think that having such evolved parents prevented them in a way from allowing you to be a child? Hmm. Like the 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 thing that I wrote down while you were talking was was this like too much adult info at a young age? I grew up in a multicultural area, so I was in mixed classes, but not because people were trying to make that happen just because that was life and it didn't. And I'm also an extremely sensitive person. I pick up on nearly everything, but mm -hmm. I didn't have that experience because there was no expectation around the fact that I was in a mixed class. Yeah, that's a really good question. And I, I definitely um, find with a lot of my clients that they have that, that uh, experience, like they have to be the adults. And I did, it's not that I wasn't allowed to be a child. I have a lot of fond memories of like playing and being like super imaginative. And, um, I had like, I definitely had a like a child experience of life, but I think that part of it, that I think there's definitely part of it that there was a certain level of like responsibility to be like a world leader Mm -hmm. from a very, very young age. And Landmark talks a lot about being a leader. And, you know, it's hard to say exactly how much of that is my was my own choice, like wanting to be wanting to be more powerful. Being a child, it's so vulnerable. And I think a lot of people um, sort of start to reject their own um, inner child or their their themselves when they are children, because uh, because they feel so vulnerable and because a lot of people in our culture, and I don't mean this as any source, I'm not blaming anyone, um, but just sort of, it's nice to be aware. It's important to be aware that we don't have a very, uh, we're not fluent. Most of us in emotional literacy, if you will. Um, I don't so, know any culture that is. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think we're working on it. I think that we're getting there. I think there's subcultures now that are 
really developing that and maybe it's just part of our evolution as human beings so yeah the more the more i go on this path the more i wonder if these subcultures haven't always existed it's just they didn't make it into the history books yeah that's a really interesting point but anyway, <laughs> we're, we're going off topic. Yeah, like, hmm. But we're going yeah. off topic. So you said that you were already burnt out by the age of 15 and that you started using drugs. Yeah, I started smoking pot. And actually, part of the reason I started smoking was because I was with, uh, I had a boyfriend who was, was smoking and I was super codependently attached to him I just like thought he was my other half and like I couldn't live without him kind of thing like got really really intensely attached really quickly and at first I was like really wanting him to stop doing drugs I really thought like drugs are are not necessary why do you need because I had all that landmark training I was like there was this really strong voice within me saying I just don't think this is right. Like we get to create our own happiness. Like I knew that. And I remember, you know, hearing that inner wisdom and also like the patterns of, you know, codependency are just really, really ingrained. So that sort of took over, I guess. And I um, eventually, I couldn't, I couldn't see myself surviving without him in a way. And so I decided, okay, well, you know, maybe I'll just, I'll try, you know, can't beat him, join him. (laughs) I kind of, no, actually I remember on Halloween, you know, him saying like, well, you should smoke with me. And I was like, well, I am kind of a hippie. So, (laughs) you know, just found a way to justify it, I think is the point, you know. And it seemed like the best route. So once I started, I started doing it more and more. And also like that, again, was what what was happening in the culture around me. A lot of the other kids at that time in my high school smoked pot. It was like the way I felt like I could fit in. Um, So, so yeah, so I started to take that very seriously. And that kind of became my life. And I maintained really good grades and um, (laughs) talk about burnt out. Like, you know, they say when you're high, it's like being baked. (laughs) Like I was just high all the time. I like, I'm like, really, I feel for myself, you know, because once you get into this level of addiction as well, it's, it's not even like I was choosing that. It was like a default um, physical, you know, kind of thing that I needed that and also really needed to maintain, uh, maintain really good grades and maintain like a good image. And it was like, I felt conflicted between being accepted by, you know, my, my parents and my family and being accepted by my peer group. And, um, I, I felt sometimes being really smart. I actually felt rather isolated from my peers in -hmm. some ways so I was sort of trying to cope with that and um, I didn't have a lot of um, support as well in connecting with my peer group because like you said, I had a lot of that adult sort of mature education, but not a lot of my peers had that. Yeah. So it was hard to feel like I had a place. Where do you think that the the codependency and this relationship with that particular boyfriend came from? I think it came from feeling really not very safe as a female, feeling like I was being sexually um, kind of objectified and that I, I would feel safer if I had one person who was sort of, that was sort of, I'm attached to this person even if that person is also objectifying me in certain ways at least it's like lowering the um or it's like focusing the the challenge if that makes sense Mm -hmm. and I think it came from also just 
I moved um, to a new town before high school and right before I met him. And so he sort of knew a lot of people in the, in the community and I didn't. So it felt like um, also a way to be, I had to gain some kind of status in a way, I guess. Yeah. What, why did you move? The schools in the town that I grew up in were, were dangerous, basically. Um, inner city schools and my parents didn't want me to have to go through, you know, metal detectors going into school every day and uh, fear of, you know, shootings and, and t- stuff like that. Right. So Which is to the suburbs. Yeah. And just yeah. that they send you to a school for social justice, but then when it becomes time to be part of the system, I mean, of course they want you to be safe. That's yeah. just, that's, I mean, that's just obvious, but it's an interesting sort of dichotomy, like go at a young age, learn about this social justice and be part of the solution. But as a teenager, let us pull you out. And isn't that yeah. an interesting dichotomy? It, yes. Yeah, so interesting. It's so, I, I'm feeling like this is so healing for me to talk about this right now. Oh, <laughs> really <good. laughs> appreciating your insights. Yeah. It, it, yeah. And as an empath, right. Like we were saying, and yeah. as someone who's just really cares about, cares about people to, and that, that childhood, you know, innocence and desire to see, to see justice and to see healing in the world. And then to realize, oh, wow, this is way bigger than me. Yeah. This is something that's come up quite a bit in the podcast, people having particular goals and dreams Mm -hmm. that that they created at some time in their adolescence, that they realize that they're not able to attain. Somebody said yesterday that um, it's not alone-able. You can't do it alone. Yeah. Yeah, I always like to say this paradox, like, we can't do it alone. No one else can do it for you, but you can't do it by yourself. (laughs) Well, and this goes to the internal and external causes of burnout. Like burnout, part of burnout always is, you know, like you mentioned when you wrote to me, this Mm -hmm. sort of shame that we inherit, the fear that you'll never be good enough, this need for codependence, all of these things drive behaviors that lead us to burnout. And also we exist in a society or in a culture or in a corporate structure or in a company or in a family that also supports burning out. Doesn't get us necessarily the things that we need. Like you can do all the internal work in the world, but if you are not in a community that supports you doing that work and that keeps you safe while you're doing that work, your work is not going to get you all the way there. Exactly. Yeah. We need both. We need internal resources and external resources. So you met this, you moved, you met this boyfriend, you started smoking, you were still maintaining your grades and trying to be like the quote unquote good kid, trying to perform in order to stay lovable. And how did, how did the story continue? Yeah. So basically, um, and I had some like really good times in, in that, those years as well. I'll just say that I went to a performing arts uh, program in high school and I did theater and dance. And that was also like, that was like, um, gosh, the word that's coming to mind is savior. I don't, that's not exactly the word I mean, but it, that was uh, an outlet for me. That was a safe haven yeah. um, in a way. And and in a way, it wasn't because that's where I met um, the the boyfriend, and so he he was part of that uh, community. But he actually graduated; he was two years older than I was. Um, so I guess that kind of goes back to um, that experience of feeling like I have to be older than I am. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, he was like out of high school and trying to figure out what was next in his life while I was like a sophomore, you know, and it's only two years, but at that stage in life, it's a big, like you're in different places in life. And he really had a hard time getting on his own feet and just sort of, you know, a lot of ways, like I was taking care of him and I was like paying for us to go to the movies and stuff like that when he didn't have a job. And, 
Um, and I think it was again, like this attempt, he was, um, half black and half Puerto Rican. And, um, I think in, and you know, he lived in just a di- he was in a different, different class structure than I was. And so I felt like this was also became like a way for me to try and like rebel against yeah. the culture and really make the changes that I felt should be made and that I was taught should be made. And here I've had this experience of everyone advocating for social justice. And then it's, it was like it, there, there seemed to lack a certain level of follow through and actually like supporting me to carry that message out like in practical ways how do you actually in everyday life yeah how do you actually help change these oppressive systems in everyday life and I didn't have I was I didn't see a way so I just (laughs) like well I'm gonna create like love and attachment between myself and somebody who's on a different side of this system. And that's going to be my way of like breaking out of it. But unfortunately it was just both of us had this like codependent toxic programming and it ended up just being like, we would get in fights all the time. And to, to move the story along, I basically went to college. I went to the new school in New York city. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and knew I wanted to go to New York city and I kind of tried to maintain the relationship but at that point I kind of knew um we needed to go our separate ways I was starting to I was starting to realize that the doing so much so many drugs was actually not good for me because I had some really painful experiences um with psychedelics um really fearful trips where I felt extremely anxious and paranoid and I just started, it wasn't fun anymore. It was fun when I started, you know, but it got to the point where it wasn't fun, but I was still doing it. And part of the reason I was still doing it was because everyone around me was doing it. And we had formed sort of a little tribe of like, you know, this is like our crew. And I started to realize like, I need to move, move beyond that. Anyway, I ended the relationship very messily but we broke up and I went to college I found a good you know group of of stoner friends in college and I had a really I had a a good time uh studying I studied anthropology Mm -hmm. and I studied dance and I studied theater I studied um um healing healing communities through the arts like I just loved it I loved the new school and I I started getting interested in shamanism in my anthropology classes and I I think it was after my sophomore year of college that I I realized like I need to stop doing the drugs. I was also doing landmark programs at the same time and those programs were really calling me into like leadership and I knew that in in order to do the introduction leaders program, you you're basically representing landmark education. So you're, you're asked not to do anything illegal (laughs) and all the drugs I was doing were illegal. So, so I made a commitment to stop and it was hard. I kind of slipped a few times, but I got away from it. I moved out of my apartment that I was living with um, all my friends who just, smoked all the time. I basically said goodbye to like all of my friends. I mean, I would have stayed friends with them, but it was just, I don't know. It was like life was taking us in different directions. And I, so I did the landmark uh, introduction leaders program, which is a really intense leadership program, like really intense, a lot of hours, um, a lot. It's just, it's really, really rigorous. And I think that, you know, it's interesting, right? Like I just dove into like the most intense, rigorous program I could find. And it's that sort of like extreme extremist kind of culture as well that I think really contributes to burnout, you know, feeling like we just need to be the best and we need to work really hard and do the most amount of things. And I always 
you know, even still, I work on this programming that says, work harder, do more. How much did you get done today? You know, and then that feeling of like, oh, it's never good enough when it, then if you actually sit down, and this is something I've done and that I have my clients do sometimes, like make a list of the things that you did today. Like, oh my yeah. gosh, wow, I'm amazing. I've been really productive, but our thinking doesn't register that. So we have to show ourselves sometimes. But anyway, um got on a tangent. <laughs> Important. I read something recently, I think it was uh, Mel Robbins on Instagram had a post that said, you do not have to be lovable. Mm-hmm. And to me, it's the same as you do not have to be productive because lovable and productive are very similar in my world. Mm-hmm. Which, of course, is one of the you know one of the guiding reasons for the burnouts that happened in my life. But I've been thinking about that statement for a couple of days because it it really speaks to that. You do not you don't have to be lovable. And I, I keep thinking that. like, wow, I. But shit, <laughs> you know, like, wow. And I've been doing research on burnout for over two years now, and I have many, 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 many years of experience with patients and doing internal work and life coaching and, 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 Mm -hmm. and yet this one statement, you know, you're not required to act in a way that you think makes you lovable. Yeah. That what is lovable. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So you get into this crazy intense program you're doing this leadership program. You're yeah. you stepped away from friendships, which means that you're most likely jumping into friendships into the in this leadership program that may or may not be people that totally jive with you. It's just that you need some support and you have to have a community and you just walked away from a group of people who whether beneficial to you or not were your group of people. Yeah. And I was also the youngest person. I think at that time I was the youngest person ever to do that program, at least in New York. So yeah, so I was, I was diving into relationships with a lot of people that were much older than I am, or I was. And, you know, that continues to be a pattern in my life, which I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, it doesn't feel, it doesn't necessarily feel um, soul crushing in any way. It actually, in some ways, it's actually really empowering I think a lot of people talk down to children and just, and it's actually really empowering to, as a child, be seen for the deep wisdom that I had. And, and now, even as a young adult, to be fairly young adult, at least to be seen for the wisdom I have is very empowering. Yeah. So anyway, um, so I did the program. I was, uh, I, there are certain measures that you have to meet in order to actually be invited to lead introductions, to be a part of the, if that makes sense. So yeah. if you complete the training, so I did meet all of those measures. And so I was invited to be an introduction leader. And so I said, yes, I kind of didn't want, I didn't want to say yes. I actually heard an inner voice say no, but I had to say yes, because that was the thing that What's going to make you lovable? Yes, exactly. (laughs) Exactly. So it was, um, it was, uh, yeah, the whole, the whole experience was in a way as I'm glad it was there rather than somewhere else. Right. Because at least even though there, it was sort of colored by this inner lack of integration that I had. I also did get a lot of value and a lot of amazing training and experience there. So I led introductions for about a year and a half. And then one day I was on a subway. I was going home and all of a sudden I just was like, I need to get off the subway right now. I didn't know why. I just, I wasn't, I was like several stops from home. I just needed to get off. So I got off and I went up stairs. And as soon as my foot hit the sidewalk above the underground um, stairs, I got a phone call. I was like, okay, hello. And it was a mutual friend of mine and my uh, 
ex-boyfriend, but the um, the person I was talking about earlier. And uh, so this mutual friend was calling to tell me that he had gotten in a car accident and that he died. And I thought that he was lying to me. I thought he was like trying to play a trick on me, actually. And because um, he was he was pretty upset that we weren't together. But anyway, eventually it sunk in like, no, it, this is actually true. And I talked to his brother. I talked to my parents. Everyone kind of knew like, OK, oh, wow, this really happened. And I was devastated. And I was it's actually really surprising. And now that I'm looking back at it, really interesting because. I was pretending. I was pretending that everything was cool. And here I was going to lead introductions for Landmark and be this like transformational, you know, leader. And underneath the surface, I had not processed or addressed any of the emotional um, aspects of, of this experience. And how could you have at that age? Yeah. I mean, really? <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, I think. At that age and at that time, right, with the yeah. tools that I was given, and yeah, yeah. So I just like I really like I lost it. I I was also living. I had moved. <laughs> like you had you had said, yeah. Like when you're in that vulnerable place where you know you're sort of leaving behind a lot of friends and you don't have um, a new community, it makes you very vulnerable to sort of potentially pick up in relationships that aren't necessarily the best, but you need something. And so that was sort of where I was at with the place I was living. And there was one person that was living there who um, was really unstable at that time and was like, we had just a very volatile relationship. And it was like, it was like this pendulum where sometimes we'd be like the best of friends. And then sometimes we'd be like yelling, She'd, they'd be yelling at me. And so I walked home, I was like kind of devastated and yeah, all the emotion that I hadn't processed just hit me in that moment. And in a way it was a blessing and I'm always going to be grateful to him and his soul and whatever soul contract that we have, because in a way, you know, his passing in instigated this shift for me. But first I, you know, I went home, this person was there that I had this very volatile relationship with. And I, I was devastated and they looked at me and they were like, well, are you okay? And I said, you know, my friend just died. And they were like, I'm so sorry, you know, gave me a hug. And it was like you said, I just leaned into that person who was there because that person was there at that time. And I didn't know how to hold myself. And so I let them hold me. And the way they held me was, you know, here, have a joint. <laughs> um, so I started smoking again and I just picked off right where a lot of, um, you know, recovery in recovery from addiction, they'll tell you like if it, it's sort of a progressive, um, thing, progressive disease. Um, so you may stop for a while, but when you pick up the substance again, oftentimes people pick up right where they left off. And yeah. so even though I hadn't smoked in a long time, it immediately became like, again, all day, every day. And um, I met another um, young man and started uh, dating him. And just, I stopped going to my classes for a little while. I was right before I was going to graduate. I stopped answering calls from the landmark um, program people and, I just sort of really isolated and spiraled down. And thankfully I had enough support to get me to a psychiatrist at that time um, who gave me some medication that, you know, I'm really grateful for, you know, for the most part, I'm an advocate for holistic wellness, but I really think everything has its place. And at that time that really gave me a security blanket to start to say, okay, maybe I could lean off of the pot and yeah. trust that I have this other thing that is being, you know, supported by a doctor and everything that's legal and all of that, that can support me to feel like I'm okay. Yeah. And I, so I moved in with this new boyfriend and I somehow managed to finish my final thesis and graduate with honors. It was just a time of like just reacting yeah. and coping 
And I got a job as a violin teacher and a studio manager for this music school. Um, and then I got fired, which she told me it was because, um, it was because of like the way I had, I had asked people, called out the name of the parents and asked them if they wanted to pay their bills or something. I don't know, something that I, that wasn't appropriate to do, but I, I think the real reason was probably because I was probably high when I was going to work <laughs> and she, maybe she didn't want to say that or she didn't, maybe she didn't know, but like she just could tell something was off. Right. So that was a wake up call for me. That was sort of like a final wake up call. And I, uh, I thought, okay, something really needs to change. And I had been trying to stop smoking for a while at that point, because every time I did it, I would get really anxious and get like panic attacks. And then once I came down and wasn't high anymore, the panic attacks would stop. And then I would just want to smoke again. That was like all I wanted to do. It was really weird. And I was trying to like buy less or like put it away. And so I couldn't see it and it, nothing worked. I just, I would just take, get it out of my hiding spot and smoke it. Like, even yeah. though I didn't want to. So I finally like broke down to the point of like, Oh my God, I need help. Like I can't do this by myself. And I found um, a program uh, called marijuana anonymous actually that um, has, it's basically 12 steps, um, like Alcoholics Anonymous, but yeah. specifically for marijuana. And a lot of people don't know that exists and it does. And it's amazing. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah. So I, I went to some of those meetings and I just said, oh my gosh, I feel at home. Like it was people that I felt could really understand me. And I literally just, it felt like a wave of relief that washed over my body the moment I stepped into the room just being with people who were, I don't even know how to describe it, who were there to... Who understood the path that you were on. Yeah, and and were on their own path and yeah. that the path they were on was one of wholeness. Yeah. Um, yeah, exactly. So you met these women, you started going to meetings and what happened next? Um, let's see. I, I really dove in. Uh, my my A-plus student uh, hat served me well in that program. I went to 90 meetings in 90 days. I started working on the steps. You know, everything that they suggest, I did it. I was like, I'm going to do this right. My life depends on this is really what it what it felt like. And I started to get some some clean time and... I got, um, I guess I got another job. I actually wrote down on a piece of paper, dear God, please help me find a place to live that is healing and drug free where I can focus on my sobriety. And I put it in a little box. And the next day I got an email from a friend of mine that a mutual friend of ours is looking for a roommate and she was a Reiki healer and just a beautiful soul. and you know, clean. Um, she was a massage therapist, super vegan, super into health and wellness. And so I moved out of the place I was living, which again was just filled with a lot of other people who were smoking pot and like this kind of really intense, volatile relationship with my, um, with the new boyfriend. And I ended that with him. I just told him like, I need to work on myself right now. And it's not even about you. And, um, I'm, you know, proud of myself for taking that step. That was really scary. Like I had never just kind of said no to like boys and men had always been another kind of like another drug in a way. Yeah. How old were you at that time? I was 20, 22. So I moved in with my, with a friend, uh, Reiki, who is Reiki healer and she was also pregnant at the time, and so I was around this sort of magical life baby energy, and I was working, and I found um, a woman, a coach and a healer 
a mentor who I signed up to work with her for three months. And we did really deep, really, really deep healing work and connecting me to my, you know, my soul, my spirit, my, you know, higher power angels, and really just helping me feel like I, I can be okay, you know, but like I have everything I need within myself and really just strengthening that connection with spirit was the big game changer, I think, overall. There are people out there right now that are wondering how you do that. Yeah. Well, there's no like one way to do it. Initially, I think finding a community that you feel at least semi-comfortable with, if it's a new thing, then you may not feel totally comfortable and that's okay. That doesn't mean it's not a safe space, but finding a place that you can go um, and learn from, you know, follow your, follow your curiosity, honestly, is what I would say whatever interests you, like at that time I was starting to get, well, so I love the 12 step program for me. They just, they talk about a higher power and they just leave it very open, but they, but you get to hear other people's experience of finding that. So that's what really helped me was hearing other people's experiences and also just following my own inspiration and, and bliss. And that's why I like to talk about bliss because when we, we access that like part of ourselves that feels inspired, that inspiration is like leading you towards literally inspiration and spirit. Um, and I, yeah, I was really, got really interested in shamanism again, cause I had, I had always sort of had an interest in that since I started studying it in college. And then I did found a contemporary shaman. Actually I knew her, her kids went to school with, me and my brother. So she had sort of known me my whole life. And then it was like the perfect timing to go and um, get mentoring from her and training from her. But um, yeah. And so how to do it. Well, I, I think say. that you, you said two really important points okay. about how to do it. I think, yeah. I think you've said it and I, and I agree with them. One of them is curiosity and inspiration follow your curiosity which curiosity and inspiration are very very tied together for me Mm. follow the things that you're curious about you wanted to learn how to play the guitar your whole life like go go find a teacher you wanted to Mm -hmm. no matter what it is you found shamanism and some people find baseball fine (laughs) you know like totally fine but find the thing that's piquing your curiosity find the thing that's inspiring you no matter how small that whisper is because we all we all hear it it's in there somewhere and then choose a community of people that are inspired by and or curious about similar things so community and curiosity because like we said in the beginning you know my friend the, the I'm not a loanable, um, this is not a loanable quote came from my friend Mel Hopper Kopelman, who, who I know from Rhode Island. And she said that when she said that, you know, this particular thing isn't a loanable, I started thinking, you know, kind of most things aren't a loanable. Yeah. You need the community and you need to feel inspired, even if it is a faint, faint whisper. Because you don't know if it will continue to inspire you until you actually start doing it. You know, we've both gone through B-school, like Marie Forleo always says. Mm -hmm. Clarity comes from action. You don't get clear in your head. You get clear by listening to whispers, taking action, and then finding out if it fits. And part of whether or not it fits is... Do you fit in with the community? Do you feel comfortable in the community Mm -hmm. of people that are also interested in it? So I think that those two points are incredibly powerful. Thank you. Yes. And I also want to say that like there's a lot of tools out there like meditation and shamanic journeying or you know or prayer or there's a lot of you know literally just communities that are just spiritual communities and um or spiritual tools and I guess I think just like keeping an open mind as far as searching as far as searching for a spiritual community and just knowing that, you know, it doesn't have to be like a religious thing, or maybe you will find a religion that you resonate with, but having a community that's specifically like diving into some type of spiritual teaching, I think is really wonderful as a baseline, you know, and I think that the, the purpose of 
following that curiosity, even if it's like, go play guitar or like, I've always wanted to visit this park and I'm going to finally go like that will lead you to finding that community. That's going to, that's going to help you um, to grow. But that's not necessarily the the end game because you can easily compulsively just like, like, you know, I've done that too, where it's like, Oh my gosh, I feel stressed. Like I just need to go play baseball. And then that becomes another crutch or I just need to go play my guitar. And then that becomes another crutch. That's just a coping mechanism. So I think it's much more of a coping mechanism when you don't have the, the community to surround it. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, sometimes yeah. the community can help you stay on the crutch. Like that, that's, I mean, people enable each other all the time. That's also can be yeah. part of it. But I feel like if you're saying a spiritual community, for me, spirituality and personal growth are basically the same thing. So if the word spirituality is turning you off, then does personal growth turn you off? Like find a community that is not content with, is content with accepting you for who you are and creating space for you to grow. Yeah, exactly. And teachers and mentors. And I just, I just, and that's why I became a a coach and a mentor because I've just, I've gained so much from having that personal connection with someone. So, yeah. And I do, one of the things that I love to do is actually for people who are interested in, in shamanism, particularly help them find, uh, learn how to do shamanic journey and how to connect with their spirit guides. And so um, there's a lot you can do in the realm of shamanism to build, literally build relationships with like the spirit world. And, and there's a lot of different ways you can do that. And it's not all like necessarily like super woo woo. Like it's it's not all super hippy dippy. It's just, yeah. 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 I love uh, shamanic journeying for its sort of hypnotic trance state that it allows you to be in. I've gotten some really great information doing shamanic journeys in the past. Um, So it's something that I personally really enjoy, but there might be people out there saying, what? (laughs) (laughs) And that's okay. If you're curious about it and you feel a little bit inspired, then maybe you should get in touch with Kayla. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And if you don't, then don't worry about it. Yeah, then that's okay too. Yeah, yeah, then that's okay too. Kayla, this has been such an interesting conversation for me because it feels so universal in a way that mm. you went through a lot of things that a lot of people go through, but in like a smushed down amount of time because you were making decisions to go into things like, you know, marijuana anonymous at a, at a young age, really Mm -hmm. all things considered. And so that gives you sort of an advantage. And it's that same advantage that sort of led you down that road in the first place. And it's such an interesting thing to me to see both sides of that coin, to, to see that, there were such high expectations of you and there was so much maturity that was gifted to you at a young age that you probably didn't really have the bandwidth for. And, and it ended up kind of in this place where you were able to use all those tools, but not until you went through the bullshit first. Yeah. And so I think that it's, sort of a a message to people to allow themselves to be where, where they are. Like if you're at X part of your process, sort of stop and breathe for a second, instead of throwing down the expectation that you should be five steps further along on your path, because you're not, you're here. So give yourself the space to be here so that you don't cause more damage later by forcing yourself to be in a place where you're not quite ready to be. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) Yeah. And it's funny. I, one of the things that has sort of plagued me um, throughout my life is this feeling like I, I'm like, I'm, I'm late or something like, yeah, it's so weird because I'm so early, (laughs) you know, in terms of typically when people, you know, come to these types of, you know, big life 
changing experiences or breaking out of their burnout or getting on a new spiritual path. Like most of the time that happens for people like later in their lives. And for me, I've really been kind of ahead of the game. And yet I have, so I guess my point in saying that is like those kinds of thoughts and those kinds of feelings of, Oh no, like I'm not good enough or I'm, I'm, I need to be better. Like they are not connected to reality. No, like you can be the best in your field and still have those thoughts. And it's because they're, yeah, they're not connected to, it's not that they're not connected to reality, but they're, it's ancestral, it's passed down. So it's when you heal that you're healing also the, the wounds and the pain of your generations back. And, and that's an important thing to understand, I think, to realize like, we're not, we're not crazy. We're just, we're dealing with generation generational I don't know what to even call it it's an it's a we're wounds we're part of a wounds yeah and we're part of a an unfolding that's bigger than our like personal individual lives we're, we're part of a a kind of an evolution of humanity yeah yeah as a big as a big picture all right well we have already gone beyond our hour because we just kept going and it was so wonderful and I think that, you know, the most important thing that I want people to take away from this is this idea of both needing sort of the internal personal growth and this external community of support to carry you through the difficult times so that you can get where you need to go, that that things are not aloneable, that you need to have this community and that it's okay to lean on people during this process. Like you are not meant to do this as a single person all on your own and figure everything out by yourself all the time. Um, I think that that's a really powerful message to, to wrap up on. So as we wrap up, is there anything Kayla that you would like to say before we finish? Oh, just thank you. It always healing for me to be able to share my story as well. And, on the note of community, I'll just share that I have a Facebook community that's free for, for women. It's called the Rising Goddess Sisterhood. And um, that's a space where, you know, you can meet other like-minded women around the world who are on this journey and maybe, you know, ask questions and just find some resources. So that's amazing. That's I will definitely put that in the show notes for everybody so they don't even have to go looking for it. It will be right there for them to click on and they will have immediate access to it. Thank you. Kayla, thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you, Caitlin. All right, everybody. That wraps up another episode of Fried, the Burnout Podcast. Thank you so much for being here today and holding energy for Kayla and her story through space and time and being willing to listen to some things that maybe might be new and and different for you today. I will put links to everything that Kayla mentioned in the show notes and links to her Facebook group as well. So if you feel pulled by her story and feel understood and there's resonance, please do go and join them. Until next time. And please don't forget, before you go, I really want to hear what you think and what your views are on each and every episode. So please join the conversation over on Instagram. You can find it by searching for the profile at Fried the Burnout Podcast. And you can hashtag that and you can tag me in your posts with that. And I'm going to love it and it's going to be awesome and I can't wait to hear from you. All right. See ya. Thank you.